Hey everybody, welcome to a brand new episode of Save It For The Show, episode 83. And with me, I have a guest, uh, a guy, a, a comedian, an illustrator, an artist, uh, a bit of a rapper as well, and a guy I've been following on the internet for a long time, and I'm really excited to have him on the show, Drew from Toothpaste For Dinner. What's up, man? Hey, how's it going? Good. How are you doing? Good. Good. I pre- appreciate you coming on. I know you were a little hesitant at first, so I know uh, I appreciate your time. Yeah, no, I just uh, I just don't like journalists, so it's like, you know. I'm not a journalist. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Christ. I did go to journalism school, which is weird, and now I'm not doing journalism, but I've never really... Con- did you think I was like a journalist when I reached out to you, like a reporter or something? No, no, I'm just, uh, uh, I'm just kind of used to, uh, uh, dealing with situations in, in journalism where people kind of intentionally misrepresent what I do. Uh, and, and either I'm like, uh, super sensitive, but I'm not. So yeah. no, it's not that okay. or, uh, or just journalists are just, uh, sometimes they're just, uh, uh, a little bit of like human trash. So listen, I, I'm not, not going <laughs> to uh, argue with you there. Well, the last thing I'll do is misrepresent you only because I've I've been a fan of yours forever. In fact, uh, share with you a quick story. It was probably like 2002 and maybe, maybe 2003. I just gotten out of school and I had my first job ever working for a good friend of mine, this guy Milan, who's a uh, like a graphic designer stuff like that. And he had a computer magazine. I think it was like .net or something anyways it came with a copy of this book that you wrote and i can't find it for the life of me it was a really tiny little almost like a pamphlet is is this ringing a bell oh yeah to you yeah no this was uh uh i don't know how it happened because it was so long ago but i ended up writing the back page column for a british computer magazine i guess they had really liked these these like short stories and these blogs I had written like you know a billion years ago like literally in 1999 2000 so yeah that's it it was definitely from the UK and it, they ended up bringing it though it culminated in like a like a book I, I remember it did come in the magazine and like most magazines it ended up in the bathroom where you know you read it while you're taking a shit. So that's where I found it. And I found this book and it was mostly about working in an office and you writing your comics about how dreadful that was and sort of the day to day. And it was so funny. And I, I would go to the bathroom looking forward to reading it, but of course not being able to take it out of the bathroom because it was a, a shit magazine that once you, once you touch it in the bathroom, you're not allowed to bring it back into the office because that's you know breaking the cardinal rule of the bathroom. So thank you for making me take super extra long poops in the year 2000. And, you know, I've enjoyed your, your humor ever since. Well, great. That's good. That's good to hear. And that's, uh, I don't know, like that's a weird bathroom rule. I've never heard of that. Like not in my own house, it's like, uh, like Las Vegas, like whatever you do there has to stay there or something. I mean, that's maybe, listen, maybe I'm, I'm wrong in that, but it's not like I'm getting poop all over the magazine either way, but or I'm a germ freak. Anyhow, I, I've been listening, I've been reading your stuff for a long time. And so even back then when you did start your site, I didn't even, I didn't even have an RSS feed. I think I would just go to your, 
your comic every day. So for anybody who's listening that doesn't know Drew and his work, you've created a, a ridiculous amount of content. I mean, how long have you been doing your webcomic daily? For 10 years or something? Uh, yeah, Toothpaste for Dinner has been daily for over 10 years. It's like 10 and a half years or something at this point. Uh, but I was putting stuff online you know, going back to, you know, the nineties, just kind of when it was, when it was starting, I was, I was very lucky. Uh, when I was a kid, uh, we had, my family had borrowed, uh, a modem, mm. like a computer with a modem. Cause these were like super expensive. It wasn't the kind where you put the, the telephone handset in, sure. but it was the kind where you plug it into the computer and, uh, you know, my dad would bring it home. He brought it home like over the summer. He'd bring it home uh, like on the weekend or something. And we would uh, we would use it to get online. And and pretty quickly, uh, I got on the local free net. And this was like yeah, this is like BBS. So it's like probably, 1990. Right? Yeah, 1991. Like with an Apple II. And I got online. I really quickly figured out. Uh, you know, you can get on and you can consume media. You can get on, say, and this was like a billion years ago. So you get on, you could like, oh, I'll find a biscuit recipe. <laughs> I'll get on and I will discuss, uh, like, I don't even know what shows were on TV then, but I will You're get right. on and I think like Charles Kuralt is great. So I'm going to post on like, Alt dot Charles Kuralt because everything was like these computer code names, right? Sure. And so you would do that and you could consume what other people were doing, but more importantly, you could type shit in and you could just make up anything and you could like fuck with people. And so I started doing that and that was really uh, when I was like, okay, so this is like interactive and I can make stuff and put it on here and people I don't know can read it, which is really – you know, if you're if you're 11, 12, 13 years old, uh, especially if you grow up in a time where there's no Internet, there's no web. The web wasn't created till 1991. Uh, you know, there's really no indirect way of communicating with people you don't know. So that was really groundbreaking at the time. Yeah. I mean, were you always drawing and doing comedy and things like that. I mean, was doing what you do now kind of your foray out there or was it more like you said, going into a forum and saying how much you loved a movie or MacGyver or whatever was popular in the nineties? Yeah. Yeah. See, so I would go on when I was a guy, I'd be like 12 years old or something. Right. And I would go on and I would be like, you know, I like the part where like MacGyver just went hog wild and like started jelking and like <laughs> Tiger told him to put it away. And he was like, no, like I have to make my corpus stronger. Right. And he's like jelking like crazy. And then shit blows up. And then people would be like, I don't know. Like, cause nobody had names. It wasn't even like, like, like a handles or right. anything. It would be like user two thirty one. I don't even know what you're talking about. Tiger was not in this episode. I don't know what jelking is. And I would be like, well, I learned about jelking from MacGyver. It's an Arabic way of increasing your penis thickness. And like, <laughs> so even back then you were fucking with people. And yeah. And so I was like, all right, like I can, I can, uh, I don't know. I, f I found it very funny. 
Yeah. I still think it's very funny. <laughs> yeah, I'm laughing. The, the notion of messing... See, anytime somebody's so passionate about something and you can, I don't know, make fun of it in a way, even if it's funny just to you, like, I, I can see why that would be good. I, I would do the same thing. I mean, it, it was like the golden age of fucking with people on the internet back then, mostly because there was no accountability. So it's not like they could come after you or find you or email you or anything. And it was just so... Nobody knew what they were doing. You know, it's just, it was like the Wild West of getting out there and, and being silly. It, yeah. And I think also there was uh, an amount of accountability that you just have now that you didn't have then. Now, you know, there's the possibility where, you know, if I say something, I, I post something in public, you know, there's always a copy retained of it. People can refer back to it and they can say, I always, you know, I didn't like this guy because in 2000 uh, something, he posted something and he said he didn't like vegans right. and I'm a vegan and I think he's fat and I think he sucks. Right. So it's like, there's no, you could do this stuff in sort of a vacuum. Yeah. Uh, but it wasn't – I'm not saying it was better than necessarily because it was certainly like fucking compared to like playing Nintendo, like original Nintendo. Mm -hmm. It's like very fetishized now. But right. like it sucked. You would play it on a little grainy TV and you would just have like Metroids and you just jump, jump around. It just fucking blew. Yeah. And so there was like nothing to do. So you could like troll people anonymously, whatever, but nobody read it. You would like go on, you would post, you would talk to people and like 15 people would read it or like four people. Yeah. So it was like up until, you know, I did stuff online because, you know, every year up to a certain point when you were online, there were more and more people online. Right. And now it's, you know, in the first world, Especially if you live in in a tech center, you live in in you know Columbus, Ohio is is you know up there is the fifteenth largest city. It's not the biggest place, but uh, as far as as far as politics, technology, and everything, it's it's sure. you know top tier in the United States. And Everybody I know has Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and everything, and they take pictures on their phone and everything. Right. But, you know, there was just not shit online for the longest time. And every year you got online, there would be more and more people. So I kind of kept doing it. Mm -hmm. But up until like 2002 or 2003, you know, you'd put stuff online, but you would also have this overwhelming feeling that it was like throwing it in a trash can. Right. Like maybe the next person to pass by will like what I did like before the janitor comes and cleans it. Yeah. Well, there was no retention either. There was no way to follow somebody or, or find somebody. And one thing you said, which is so true, is you, these people fetishize playing Nintendo as a kid, kind of not realizing it's it's just their own nostalgia. And I think even hearing you talk about the way it was so great to go in these you know news groups and do that, it's just about being a kid and enjoying it so much. But anyway, so now, so at some point, it sounds like you said to yourself, all right, I do this, I do these comics, I make content, I'm enjoying this. At what point did you kind of say, fuck this? I want to try to make a living at this. I want to try to make money at this. I want to kind of monetize it, but still obviously be true to 
to the artist uh, for, for what you do. When did that come about? Well, it's, uh, that's, that's a really interesting question. Uh, so I think I, I've always, as far as business and being an entrepreneur, I mean, I started pretty much my, my own online business when I was about 15. Mm -hmm. And so this would have been in, you know, 1994 or 1995, not to give away my age, but that's like really easy math. (laughs) (laughs) So I, you know, I started my own online business. I uh, uh, I would go. I was talking with my dad, right? My dad, uh, really super smart guy. So I'm talking with him, and I'm like, yeah, you know, I just found this new game. I'm playing uh, Magic the Gathering, which is still around. So I don't have to explain that. People yeah. know what Magic the Gathering is. Dude, the uh, other day, not to sidebar here, I found all my old decks, all my old Magic the Gathering decks, and I saved them. And I have kids now, and I'm just waiting till they get a little older, and I can pull that shit out and say, "All right, these are the swamp." And I had a, I had a white deck. It was like a, I don't remember what I called it. Like everything, it only took one plane to tap to draw. Let's not turn this into a Magic the God the Gathering podcast, but I'm with you 100 percent on Magic. So go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, no, basically, so, <laughs> so the Magic the Gathering story. This is funny. So, um, I ended up. You know, I was playing it and everything else, and you would buy the the cards, and it was like you'd pay a dollar, and you'd get a little pack of cards. Gambling. And it'd have some cards in it, and you would have – yeah, you would have magazines, and the magazines would tell you like what the individual cards were worth, and it's like the like, biggest like racket. That's like a Beckett yeah, and, for baseball cards. Yeah, it was it, and they had, uh, and all the magazines were like, were like the magician's titties, and you'd go like in the back of magician's <laughs> titties, and it'd be, and it'd be like tit dragon is eight dollars, like right. butt dragon is four dollars, whatever, and you'd go, and you'd be like, yeah, well, this card's worth four dollars. You'd go to the comic book store, and you would see it in the case, and it'd be four dollars, right? Mm-hmm. So what I started doing is you know i pop open these cards and i mentioned it to my dad i was like yeah i got this fucking card it's like 15 bucks and he's like well why don't you sell it and buy like 15 more packets right i was like well that's that's actually a really good idea (laughs) and i think uh you know, just the the kind of person I am, I was like, I'm actually going to do that. And so I took it and I started selling stuff, right? Sure. And I was like, this is weird that you can pay money for this and then it's worth more than this. And so what I did is I started going online and I started selling cards. I would go like to the comics shop mm-hmm. and I would get little packets of cards and I would trade other people for their cards that were like real rare or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I'd be like, you know, I'll give you these little cards. Uh, uh, they're worth like $50 for your one thirty dollars card. And then I'd go online and I would sell it to somebody in like Finland or some shit, right? Like they couldn't get, they couldn't get good cards in right. Finland because nobody there uh, uh, played this, you know, everybody there speaks English or whatever, sure. but you Look know, you. I'd be like, yeah, I'll sell you this card. And the magazine says it's worth, 
uh, $30, but I'll sell it to you for $25. And they'd be like, fuck yeah. Nice. So they so like I started up this business and I I would get these <laughs> envelopes in the mail totally stuffed full of cash, right? That's too I was funny. like, "All right, I'm balling." Yeah. So what happened is I kept this up and I kept doing this um basically until I was 16 and I got a car and then I sold off like all of my cards that were worth anything. I sold them. Uh, I gave some huge amount of them to some kid I knew. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, I have a car now. I'm going to go out. I'm going to try to fuck whatever. Right. Yeah, of course. Right. <laughs> Enough so, of this nerdy uh, card shit. I'm ready to get laid. <laughs> so it was like, uh, you know, it, but it was really interesting, like as a micro industry. And then what kind you of know, car? pretty much anything. What kind of car did you buy? What was your first wheels you got from all these magic cards? Oh, I actually got my dad's old car. I don't remember. Uh, I don't remember the parameters of yeah. getting it, but it was uh, it was a few years old. It was just like a a little Honda. It was it was a there good car go. though. I drove it for a real long time. Nice. My first car was a Honda too, and I drove the shit out of that thing. So, so anyways, okay. They, so you have this about this feeling like you're obviously you're an entrepreneur. I mean, Christ, you, as long as you didn't have like a pog business or, or something like that too, but it's in your no, blood. No, I mean if there if there was if if there's been money in something that I've liked, I've I've kind of been like all right, n- not necessarily turning anything into a business that I'm doing, mm-hmm. but really it makes sense to say okay, if this is something where I'm pumping money into this, this is a money drain. Like I've never had a ton of money my parents were like middle class we had like a regular house we sure. ate like we ate like chicken and we ate like regular food just like very very regular um sure and, and i didn't you know i would always get jobs and stuff and my job would pay me like four dollars an hour or something and yeah. it was like fine i would still go and work at them and everything but it was like uh i can't it was more about using what you love to make money and not just make a shit ton of money just for the sake of being rich, it sounds like. Well, uh, no, I've just never – I've never been interested in, in anything that would just really make me literally millions of dollars. Yeah. And I think that's really it is that I have a, a huge problem giving a shit about something that I just don't intrinsically like. Yeah. And so that leads me – to your question, really, which was, hey, why did you quit your job? You know, you're a, you're a chemist. I was a, a research chemist. I ended up getting three patents. Uh, oh, wow. So a real based, job. A legit job, too. Yeah, I worked. Uh, I interned um, for several years for a few chemical companies, and I worked in various capacities. And I finally landed a research job um, at at some place and then ended up working with them and getting, I, I have three patents in, uh, plastic, like making this kind of rubber plastic polymer with like certain qualities. It's like very intricate or whatever. Wait, wait a second. So do you as the, the man have this patent or the, the company you worked for? Like having a patent for that, is it like having a patent for, a hook on a toy that you're now getting paid for anytime someone uses it or is it different? Oh no, no. Cause I worked for the company. So they owned the patent, which oh, okay. is fairly standard. I mean, sure. you sign an agreement that says anything you invent is, 
you know, the companies because you use company resources, blah, blah, to make it. Right. But so, yeah, I have a patent. I developed this system. Everybody all the way up literally to the vice president of the company signed off on it as being a joint inventor. And uh, it's now, you know, it's got some some eight digit, 10 digit, whatever patent number of being a unique method of creating this certain polymer. And, and so I don't get paid for it. Um, that's cool though. I mean, do you ever see things in the wild that have used your patent and you're like, Oh shit, that toy was made with my thing. Or is it not like that at all? Well, I, I did over the years see products in stores that used it. Yeah. And it was licensed technology and all this and that, but it wasn't really, um, I, I'm not, I mean, I have an academic interest in polymers, sure, but I'm not like I don't think about them. Not one of these weird polymer guys who's just all about polymers. No, <laughs> no. So, so what happened was that you know I I did all this research, I worked on this project, blah blah, and I got these patents, and uh, you know I went and they and they said you know we'll keep hiring, we'll keep you on as a temp, and I was like, well, as a temp, I don't want. Like a temp job, I've been interning yeah. and temping for like six years now. I don't have health insurance. Like I'm 20, like I don't know, 23 or 24, but like yeah. I can't go roller skating because – and I mean <laughs> this is maybe because I have uh, – you know, I have some anxiety, whatever. Like I'm not going to go roller skating. I'm not going to go on a roller coaster operated by a 17-year-old. I'm not yeah. going to go skydiving. These are things maybe I wouldn't do anyway. Well, you need but health I'm insurance. Like, you know, yeah, but I don't, have, I don't have health insurance, so I can't really absorb the liability – the expected cost of doing this. They were holding you is, back, man. Yeah. I, I, and, and it's the risk that it might happen, the fractional risk that it might happen, times the cost of it happening, sure. is that it could essentially cost you, in realistic terms, the expected cost of you skydiving might be 1500 or $20,000 if you multiply it out. So anyway, so I'm not going to do that shit anyway, but right. you know, I'm like, I'm not going to go roller skating. I might break my shit and you know, I don't have health insurance. It's going to bankrupt me, blah, blah. So anyway, but you had been making your comics the whole time while doing this job. Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. And so I was doing all this, you know, on the side, just, you know, sometimes I would draw stuff at work if I wasn't working on something or I would draw it on the weekends or whatever. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so I started making merchandise on my comics. I started picking up some freelance jobs and then I looked at it and I was like, you know, I got to the point where I wanted to break out of this and I wanted to get a full-time job. Mm -hmm. And the guy's like, well, you know, we'll keep you on as a temp. We're not going to hire you because it's 2003 and there's like a micro recession. And I was like, well, and then I was like, I was like, okay, well, if you don't hire me full-time, I'm going to leave. Sure. And the guy's like, okay, I'll see what I can do. And, you know, I looked at the numbers and I was like, I made as much – Cause like it wasn't very high paying mm -hmm. and I didn't get any bits. It was just an hourly rate for temp work. I didn't get any benefits. And I was like, you know, over the six, eight months I've been wor working here, I made as much, you know, doing comics and selling some t-shirts and stuff as I did working here. It was like, yeah. I don't remember the number of $7,000 or something just 
you know, to throw a number out there, said, you know, I made this much um, at my other thing I'm doing versus this job. And you could do it. I mean, and so you went for it. You just quit and and now you've been doing this full time since. Yeah. And that, that was in 2003. (laughs) And so uh, I basically said, uh, I'm just going to leave if... (laughs) you don't hire me full time. And they were like, what are you going to do? And I'm like, yeah, whatever I want. <laughs> right. I'm going to write comics on the internet. You dicks. No, I mean, and I didn't even really, because you know, and I was nice to everybody about sure. it. I will say that I'm not, uh, I'm not going to say, you know, that, that it was a kind of fantasy of going around and being like, fuck you. You guys are awful. No, Actually, everybody I worked with was like really, really surprisingly cool between like even the oldest guys there mm-hmm. who were like really experienced and had and had really interesting stories, you know, even, you know, getting to meet with executives and stuff at the company was really interesting to do all that. Right. So I'm not uh, I'm not like uh, living out some adolescent fantasy of being like, fuck you, fuck oh, you, sure. you're cool, whatever. Like I quit my pizza job. Right. Uh, but you're still but so doing I what you left. love. What's that? I mean, but you're still now able to do what you love and make a living at it, which, you know, a lot of people can't say. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, I kind of – so. So anyway, the long view of all this is that I've always done stuff online. Um, you know, in the 90s, I was I was really into uh, DIY electronics, like audio gear and stuff. So I made some kits mm. and I made, uh, you know, some devices, just put them together by hand, cranked them out, labeled them, did all this stuff and made some money doing that. Um, I made, you know, some audio gear, like an audio compressor thing that was based on some other compressor, whatever, like a white label version of that. And so I had done like all these random things over the years. And, uh, uh, so toothpaste for dinner really ended up being, uh, just, you know, kind of a comic, um, but really, more of uh you know what i'm what i'm thinking about or what i want to do and it's changed over the years it's been around uh now you know i started drawing it in 2001 it's not the same as what it was in like 2005 right which was different than it was in maybe 2008 and now today it's different from what it was um, I mean, people can go back and look at it and and see that it's different, but it but it had to change sure. to be interesting. And so and stay relevant. Uh, along the way, I've also done side projects. Like I started a blog called uh, called Worst Things for Sale, which has really gotten popular. It's more popular than my comic. Well, right now, I wanted to ask you about that too. So the the, the one thing I will say about your about toothpaste for dinner and that you did capture is. The notion of they're almost like tweets they're shareable i mean to hear that you've had this industrious background of always finding a way to make i don't know money from the things that you dig i'm not surprised because between like you said toothpaste for dinner or married to the sea i mean you kind of have a suite now of sites that you're curating and and the worst things for sale especially and your wife so uh I wanted to ask you about that. You, you're married. Are you married to Natalie? 
She's yeah. your wife, right? Okay. Yeah. So Drew's married to another woman. Well, not another woman. You're not a woman. He's, he's married to a, <laughs> <laughs> he's, a single woman. A single. A single. Yes. Uh, uh, married lady who is married to me. Yeah. Yes. Who also illustrates and and does comics and. Were you guys married before she kind of started her thing? Did you guys meet because you both did these comics? How did how did that kind of come about? Well, I, uh, you know, I met her uh, around the time I moved to Columbus. She was living here, mm-hmm. and uh, I would always uh, go over to her place. And she would have comics that she had drawn and they would be like on her fridge and she would like draw pictures for me because we're like young, we're like 20 year old kids and we're like, you know, whatever, like living in these little, these little shitty apartments on campus. Right. Right. And uh, so I was like, you know, I make, it was real funny. So I met her. And obviously I'd been doing stuff online for like years right? and I was talking to her and, you know, getting to know her, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh yeah, you know, like I put stuff online and all this. And she's like, oh, that's cool. Well, like I don't have a computer. (laughs) So, (laughs) so that was like, so it it had nothing to do with it. Uh, you know, I think, uh, but you certainly probably helped her see that you have a talent. You're really great at this. You know, we need to get this on the internet for other people to share and enjoy and, and by merch of. Well, you know, I, I, that would have been great, but really that was not how it happened. I was like, I put this online. Uh, the internet is a trash can, but I like putting stuff online because then I can pretend that people see it and that people get it. Sure. And she's like, okay, that's cool. And, uh, you know, I don't remember what happened because we're talking, I mean, what year is this? 2014. So Mm. this would have been a really long time ago. Let's say at the beginning of the 2000s and, uh, I'm like, you know, do you want to put your stuff online? And she's like, sure. Mm. Like, why not? I'm like, you should, because it's like a trash can. And so whatever you throw in the trash is going to be better than what's already there. And she's like, okay. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. Yeah. And so she's like, okay, here's my stuff. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I, I did, I lived in Cincinnati. I used to come up here. I used to, yeah, you know, I worked up here Mm -hmm. and, and I would travel up to Columbus sometimes. Um, and, she would either give me drawings she had made, which were just drawings with like Sharpie and colored pencil, whatever. Right. And I would take them home and scan them. Or if I wasn't coming to town for a while, she would mail me stuff Aww. because I mean, you know, you could talk on the phone with people. Yeah. You could mail them. She didn't have a computer until, you know, long after I moved to Columbus. Well, and it's not like you could take a picture with your smartphone and it'd be great enough quality just to put it on the internet. I mean, none of that existed. Oh, no, no. Yeah. You know, I had a long time ago, I had done some kind of project that involved pictures and I actually borrowed my dad's camera and I was like 20, 
something at the time. I don't know, but it was like the year 2000, Mm -hmm. 2001 something. And I borrowed his camera and you would put floppy disks in it. Oh, wow. And then you would take the floppy disks out and you would get like 600 by, by 400 pictures on your computer. So anyway, yeah. So we started doing this and I'm like, well, I'm going to link your site from my site. And then she started getting people on her site and this is funny. So what happened was that she was just making this stuff and putting it online, right? Like mm-hmm. on her site. And I'm like, why don't you register Natalie D? Because people called her Natalie D. Sure. Because that was her last that was her last her initial, initial? for her okay. last name before we got married. And so uh I'm like, just register this, just like she's like, okay, and uh uh, anyway, made all this stuff, put it online, and then her real, uh, her her first big burst of traffic came because uh, it was on something awful, oh. which I I actually write for now, oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> which which is is funny. It kind of closes the circle, um, but somebody in this was uh, 2002 or 2003 posted it and said, this is our awful link of the day. This site sucks and these drawings suck and they're really bad. And I don't like the words because the words are stupid. <laughs> And so, and I think because like the internet was like, I don't know, I think it was more bigoted maybe 10 years ago. I think they put some slurs in there too and said, you know, this or that. I don't really sure. remember, uh, you know, what, sure what kind of slurs, but I remember that. And then, so, and, and she figured it out cause all of a sudden one day, so she had just gotten a computer, not that she was not that she was unused to using it, but she had just gotten one. She gotten like eight emails one day, like out of nowhere. Nice. Like who the fuck gets eight emails? So she opens them up and they're all like, You suck and <laughs> um I saw your site and your site is a red ass. And so she's like, what? And so we went uh, and I had to go through the server logs because there was like no tools to do this. Yeah. So I went to the server logs and I was like, oh, you got linked on something awful. And it's this site where it just puts stuff that's bad. Right. Sure. And she's like, oh, and she went and and then we looked at the traffic and she'd gotten like thousands of people coming to the site. And that's where, you know, her audience, the people that looked at her work really uh, the first burst of traffic came from. So that's, that's cool. just gives you some idea as to how, <laughs> how fucking retarded. Can I say that? Is that a slur? No. That's going to be a slur oh. in 10 years, but how fucking stupid yeah. everything is online. It's, and there's no predicting it. And it's funny you bring up something awful because I feel like, and to hear that you write for, for them now. And for anyone listening who doesn't know, it's like you said, it's a website, especially before Twitter where there wasn't, a very easy way to find they was they weren't even called memes back then but whatever it's, it's a good place to go for humor that's fucked up and weird and it's this is i don't know even know how long reddit's around but i remember going to something awful before reddit to just just for weird it's just goofy and to me you get lumped in with you know i, I think i mentioned this in email like fart on twitter and dog boner like those guys who are also from the something awful and I kind of wanted to ask you about that kind of humor because to me, I, I go back and forth on it. I, I enjoy it, but there's something so different about it. It's it's not like any stand-up comedian. It's not like, you know, Jerry Seinfeld humor or something. It's it's weird, and it, but it's not genuine. Like there's something about it 
that I wonder these people who live and breathe in that sort of sarcastic world of always trying to be funny but bizarre at the same time, it's it's kind of fascinating to me to 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 live in that world. Like what what do you think about that kind of humor and kind of the place, you know, you play in it? Well, I think uh, I think it's interesting, and I think it totally I think it totally depends on who you want to pull out and say are examples. And I think really the core of Twitter, just to take a step back, the core of Twitter, and the reason why it came to light as as a venue for people to post contextless humor mm-hmm. is is because you only have 140 characters i can't have a conversation with anybody in 140 characters the most i can do if i'm going to talk with somebody is i can have a short reply and so what this leads to is that if i'm talking to somebody else and they ask me a question and i reply to them mm-hmm. and i'm really short and I'm like, I don't know. It depends. What, the way that comes off online is that I'm being a dick, right? Sure. But with Twitter, with 140 characters, the way that you can post little short things, because that's all it is is little short things. You can post something funny, and by establishing that it's funny, you can create a little idea and then you can have just enough of an idea that it suggests that it's really funny and it doesn't have a context and you don't fuck up your own joke. Right. Now, this is a problem that sometimes crops up in comics, which is that people will think of a funny idea and they'll have a panel comic, right? And the comic will be three or four panels long. Mm-hmm. And the joke will effectively happen in the first or second panel. And then the rest of the panels are just the person stomping on the joke and just destroying the joke. Well, if you have 140 characters, it's really hard to like qualify a joke. It's really hard to over explain a joke because you just don't have the room. Sure. So what you can do is is you can throw out, yeah, you can throw out a couple clauses you can say that that something absurd happened because of you know a, a situation that was happening or because of some quality you have and the quality is also bizarre right. right and so what twitter really enabled a lot of people to do was to post really small messages that were like really super compact poetry. Yeah. In a sense, not, you know, not saying that it is pulling up, you know, the style or the feeling of, of modern poetry, but really just using a few words to describe something happening. That's a lot more complex is kind of at the root of poetry. Sure. And so what you have then is you have a a situation that is described in as few words as possible. Mm -hmm. And so if you have a lot of people Online and they're reading shit. And so let's talk about again, you know, you go back to 2008 or something where Twitter's been around. P- 
people are really only using it to post and say, you know, I'm at the store, I ate something, whatever. Right. Uh, and then someone someone comes online and they post jokes. What happens is that Twitter ends up being more or less a voting mechanism. You have a feedback where people can tick it and say, this is my favorite, or even better, they can tick it and they can say, this is so good. I want to show everybody that follows me what you wrote. And so they retweet it. Sure. And so what happens is real quickly, the stuff you post that's interesting, that's funny, where out of context you read it because there is no context. There's no room for any context. Mm. You post it. Well, there's so little context. Like you said, I can take one of your tweets and put it on my timeline. And th- th- there's no less context than that. A stranger appears on your timeline, but it's so funny that you're able to read it and, and maybe even retweet it yourself. Yeah. And, and so I think what kind of naturally happened is that People got online who were used to being funny and who were humor writers. I mean, uh, it, it's hard for me to call out anybody in specific, but I know I know that John Hendren, uh, you know, was a humor writer for many years for something awful and would write these long articles where he started posting tweets, and the tweets were like real short and real funny. Yeah, and. Everybody really liked it and retweeted it. And of course, if you're a writer and you write something and it resonates, you want to find the core of what's resonating and you want to expand that and you want to continue pushing on positive feedback loop Mm -hmm. to keep getting people to like it. And of course, if you're a writer, you're writing stuff and you, you type something out and it's really funny. And so you get something out of it too, obviously. But then if you make something and it's funny and other people like it, then it's not only something where, you know, you're entertaining people or whatever, but really you are justifying your own sense of humor. You were like, not only, you know, maybe I wrote something that's funny and people think my words are funny, but what they're really doing is they're affirming my sense of humor as being Good. Not only unusual, but funnier than, you know, Somebody just else. the typical garbage that floats around. And so really, that's that's mentally what's happening is an affirmation. Well, And so and whenever you have – go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, and, and what makes that so good about Twitter, good and the bad is – there's not a lot of consequences of trying a joke. You know, you could write an article that you're going to pour over for hours, days. You put it out there, hopefully someone likes it. You can come up with a tweet on the toilet, get it out there, and it may get a thousand retweets, and you may not even be sure why or how. There's a lot less risk, I think. Maybe your only risk is losing followers if you do so many poor tweets in a row. But odds are you're not going to lose a follower. They followed you for a reason because they know sometimes you take the good with the bad. I mean... I don't think I follow anyone on Twitter expecting every one of their tweets to be, you know, the beginning and end of humor and blow my mind every single time. It's a process. Sure. And and I think, you know, by, by the same token, there's really no... Uh, The reason that Twitter has flourished as a medium for people just posting stuff that's funny and maybe implying 
some weird context like you know you post and you imply and you say you know i'm the guy and i got kicked out of a store mm. or i'm I'm a guy and people are getting mad at me because I'm doing something unusual, whatever. Obviously, the real tweet is funnier than that. Or you pretend and you say the president said something, but it's something the president didn't say, but it's presented in such a way that it seems like news. Sure. Right. The reason you can do that is because nobody else can get in there under it and fuck it up. The thing is, on Facebook or on or on a forum. Mm hmm. And like a lot of these guys that are on, you know, a lot of people that I follow on Twitter were maybe on other forums that I know, other forums that I had used. And the thing is with a forum or with Facebook is that if somebody does something funny, some people will go in and they'll try to add something to it to make it funny or if you post something and it's just the idea is that there's a funny context and this makes it funny, right. they'll go in and try to undercut that by saying that's factually incorrect. Well, yeah, that was the premise of the joke right. is that it you is know, joke world is not the real world. Exactly. No, it's, it's on its own. It's, it's, it's in a vacuum and it's kind of a survival of the fittest, which I think is why so many people are so good at it and then there's so many that are just not i i try my best to be funny on twitter and i'm I, i've made peace with myself that i'm not the best tweeter there is but every once in a while i i get a, a gem out there well let's move on I, we could talk about this forever speaking of being industrial and, and being an entrepreneur i have a sponsor and i i fucking am the worst i'm a bad businessman i always forget to plug them it's squarespace so you as a man next time you have an empire you have a media empire of your own where you don't need to use a website like squarespace but somebody else who needs a great site they should use it and use my offer code save it get 10 percent off i always feel like a, a bit of a shill at this part of the show but hey listen if you need a new site mr drew use use squarespace because it's great and awesome yeah, Squarespace has websites, domains, commerce, and mobile. I just Googled it because I go. knew you were going to be talking for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know I have a script here to read. Uh, but it's legit. I mean, for, for a dumbass person who doesn't know what they're doing but needs to put some... If Natalie, back in the day, had wanted to start a website but didn't have you to woo her and show your you know worth as a man by scanning in her drawings, Natalie could have gone on Squarespace, made a kick-ass website, you guys might not even have gotten married if Squarespace had been around. You know, she might have blown up on her own, gone a separate path, and be writing a sitcom and living in Hollywood, uh, drinking champagne. So, you know, I don't want to say Squarespace would have changed your life, but back then it might have. So, there's that. All right. All right. So, moving on. So, I've taken a bunch of your time. Did you have a real treat? Before I let you go, I, I did get a bunch of questions from some users for you. Uh, our listeners, I call my listeners users uh, by habit, but I don't want to take up you know too much of your day. Let's do a real treat. Did you uh, come with anything prepared that you're digging right now that you want to share? Uh, you know, really, the only thing that I would that I would want to uh, that I would want to talk about that's unusual is uh, like I said, for the past couple of years, I've been on the worst things for sale. Yeah. Um, and I have, 
found some of the absolute just the worst garbage on the internet. And, uh, you know, I started it and I thought this is fun, whatever, I'll do this. And it's just amazing how it's resonated with people and people have really enjoyed it. I guess because we live in a society that is completely capitalist, you know, I'm, I'm a capitalist, you know, politically I might have, you know, socialist leanings in terms of sure. of healthcare and wealth caps, and you don't hate gay uh, people. Redistribution of of income for the ultra rich, and maybe, uh, well, I won't go too far into that. Sure, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, maybe uh, taking some of the richest people in the world and executing them. I don't know, but that's listen. That's not, not extreme. I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that, but it is a good idea. But um, sure. So really, people people like taking apart capitalism because no matter where you are in the capitalist system, mm. uh, you own some stuff that's garbage, and somebody else has made millions of dollars cranking out the garbage and telling you that you need it, and then you get it. Maybe. You know, when I buy stuff, it's like I don't like spending money on stuff, but I have to buy shit. And it's always garbage. Yeah. Like whether it's like a thing for my house or it's a shirt I have to wear. It's just always such low quality. I always just expect more from the world. Yeah. And uh, maybe that's entitlement. Maybe it's just growing up in America in the capitalist society. But things should always be better. Everybody is always discontented with what they have. And that's why I think this has resonated. And it's just amazing. The more I dig, the more stuff I find. Yeah. Because when it comes down to it, everything truly in America, everything is terrible and everybody is buying as much crap as they can because as the economy drags downward, people are being separated from their family and friends. And so they're losing true contentment Okay. Yeah. <laughs> in the economy. And so what's happening is they're trying to replace it with plastic and it doesn't work and they die and they're unhappy. And eventually their body is biomass and their body gets turned into plastic and it gets sold to somebody in the year 300,000 right. and they don't need it. And, you know, they leave it at the zoo. Listen. And so really that's why people love it because they're like, it is shit. Everything is garbage. And, you know, this is something where, you know, I'm not doing anything, but showing people this stuff and maybe commenting on it. But, uh, it, it's been very rewarding for me to find this stuff and to lay it out. You mean and in, in multiple occasions, I have pointed out that a project or that a product is a scam, that it's not worth the money. Yeah. And uh, a, a large online retailer that I link to often will pull the product and I'll go back and I'll see that it's gone. And I'll feel like, you know, wow. You did something. I've, uh, I've achieved something. Yeah, the other day. So just an example of what might show up on my blog, The Worst Things for Sale. It was a painting, and it was for sale for $100. And it said this painting benefits autism research. And you might think that's, that's nice. Like I actually uh, – in my house, I have several pieces of art – uh, made at a studio here in Columbus, Ohio, mm -hmm. uh, where developmentally disabled people, uh, you know, are given the materials and the space to create art. They make 
some of the stuff they make is is really super awesome. I have a few pieces of art by them. I love it. Right. It's just completely off the wall. It's unlike anything else. That's However, awesome. this item on Amazon was drawn with human feces. Oh. It was human feces taken out and somebody had smeared it on paper to make a little drawing or pardon me, a little painting of a person. Wow. And they were selling it for a hundred dollars. And I put that on there. Crazy. And so people <laughs> clicked and said, this is really for sale. And finally, after the weekend was over, the retailer came and they pulled it and they said, you know, this is not appropriate. I've also found a man who was selling, and it may have been a woman. I'm just assuming it's a man because, you know, maybe that's bias that I assume a man would go out and and murder cats. But what he would apparently do is he would go out and kill cats. He would take them home and he would do taxidermy on them. Oh, but the taxidermy God. was all fucked up. Like the cat's hair would be all matted down and like the, the mouth would be open and the tongue would still be in there and it was all dried out. So oh. he would make these horrifying works of art using like old wood and cats. Jesus. And he was like, how do I find the cats? I don't know. Science and, and farms and stuff. Don't ask where I got the cats. Jesus Christ. So you're, you're doing a service here by not only showing the ridiculous, just dumb garbage, but if you're stopping a guy from killing cats, I mean, for Christ's sake, like I should be in jail. I mean, he's like a fucked up Frankenstein. I think so. I think so. I don't even, I don't have a cat as a pet. And I even think, you know, that's, that's probably wrong. I have cats. And if this guy needs two cats for his next project, give him my email because I'm, I'm, I'm over my cats. Well, you, you hit on something good. It's like the garage sale mentality of where you have a garage sale. You put out a book for 10 cents. Like when you're selling something in your street, like garage sales are weird to begin with. I mean, strangers rummaging around your shit is, is kind of bizarre. But the things people put on the internet, my wife belongs to like a digital garage sale. And what always blows my mind that people want to sell are things that are disposable, like uh, pacifiers for a baby. Or I'm sure there's a huge used dildo market out there. It's just gross. Like who is buying sort of like a fetishist? like a used baby pacifier they're like two dollars and who wants to get 50 cents for something just fucking throw it out you you need that 50 cents give me a break anyways your your website's awesome and somebody actually wrote in a question asking you like how bad is your site messed up for you know you know like a retargeted banner ad where when you're looking at a, a horse dildo that's 18 inches from then on anytime you go to another website with a banner ad you're getting banners for that so this person wrote in just wondering like you as a person scavenging the internet how your search history just must be insanity well i uh, hold on i have to let my yeah no. my dog out he's going nuts <laughs> so my my search history and uh, you mean my personally my browser history yeah I uh, I Private look browse. at I look at everything on the internet. I think that the human experience is just uh, just extremely super varied, and I think the fringes of society are most interesting. So my dad, 
you know, my dad encouraged me to start my business and do all this. I think if he went, if something happened to me and he went and he looked at my browser history, <laughs> which he wouldn't be doing because I, I don't think he would care. I think he would want to do something else with his day. Sure. But let's say he was and he saw me looking at horse dildos. I, I don't care. Yeah. And so personally, my own search history, I don't care. But as far as as other people's recommendations for items, it's uh, it's really it's elementary to go in and to remove a chunk of stuff from your browsing history. Sure. If you really want a site to recommend to you what you should buy, but ultimately I think what what I'm doing as far as the recommendation engines that are employed online and retargeting ads for people who have already been to a site that might want to come back, ultimately what I'm doing, number one, not only am I getting this stuff out there and people are looking at this and saying this is garbage, when you go to another site and you see a banner pop up and it's like, Hey, you probably want this whale dildo called a Moby Dick. You think about it and you think maybe they're trying to sell me something. Right. Maybe if I go to a site and they say, hey, you want this DVD? They don't care about what I'm watching. Right. They want me to buy this DVD. And, you know, it, it's funny. You and I probably live in a bubble where – where you know we're fully cognizant of advertising sure. and we understand marketing and we know how the whole system works and whether or not you know we necessarily agree with anything by working within the system we're complicit with it sure. and so you have to consider Look at the bell curve. I'm not using this as any kind of genocidal justification, but half the people in America are below average. Sure. <laughs> okay. Maybe the most severely impaired people are not going online and shopping online. Okay. But a lot of people are. Mm -hmm. You know, you ever had a boss at a job that was just thick as hell? and just managed to charm his way into the position? Of course we have. That's why the office was so successful. You have a boss that is bumbling, that is not very smart, that maybe can't read that well, right. and managed to, to charm his way into a high position. Sure. And so you got to realize that a ton of America is like that. And be drawing back the curtain for some people and saying this is advertising and they go yeah i know but i like ads right but maybe if they see that ads are trying to make them buy a giant fucking dildo they'll go wait a second i don't want moby's dick right. <laughs> maybe there's a gigantic industry that exists to sell me things that I don't really need because I don't need a whale dildo. No. Maybe this will be one facet of something that gets through. And I'll give you another example. My daughter is five. She doesn't go on the internet unsupervised. Sure. But she did, and we do not have, not because, not because I have a chip on my shoulder, we don't have cable TV because I'm cheap and I don't personally watch it 
because I have other things that I want to do. So I don't watch it. Mm -hmm. And so I don't pay for it. And so my daughter is actually deprived of cable TV because I am, because I am selfish and I don't want to pay for it. It's like $80 or something, right? So what a a bad dad. You're so awful, but yeah, I hear you. Yeah. Yeah. And so she goes over to a friend's house and this was, she was four and a half or something. She goes over to a friend's house and she's like, I, you know what I want? And this was like two days later. So she's been thinking about it. And I'm like, what do you want? She's like, a flashlight, friend. Right. And I'm like, what's a flashlight, friend? She's like, oh, it's just like a worm and you put a flashlight in and it glows and then you love it. Right. Because you I was saw like, a commercial what? for it. And, and so I talked to her. And I'm like asking her questions about it. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? Like, is this from some book? Like, you know, she goes to the library, she reads books, she does all this stuff. And she's like, no, I saw it on TV. And finally, I figured out she watched a commercial and she didn't know what a commercial was. Uh huh. And so you gotta, you gotta then dial that back, okay? If you're a smart five year old, which I'm bragging. My daughter is pretty smart. She's a smart five-year-old. She's like on the level of some adults that exist in society. And I'm not saying that to be mean. That just is what it is. Sure. Okay. There are adults that exist in society that are as smart as a smart five-year-old. Yeah. And that's fine because she does well and she's really happy. And I would imagine these people are really happy too. Yeah. But they don't know what commercials are. Right. They think it's a TV show that they see that tells them they need to buy something, whether they need it or not. Absolutely. And so it's February. And so ask yourself, how many people watch the Super Bowl for the commercials? You know, I you might think I'm exaggerating this for for by saying people are, a f- are five years old mentally, but they are. Right. People don't know the rules of football, but they watch the football games so they can see the little 30 second TV shows in between when the people run around with the ball. Yeah, that's no doubt. And this year they sucked. I mean, I don't want to turn this into a, a commercial review because we certainly could. That's what I work in is advertising. And I, yeah, I could spend another hour. Just ripping apart how lame uh, most of these commercials are. Well, listen, let's wrap it up. I, you, you and I are on a tear here. Um, see, this wasn't like a journalist thing, was it? I'm not like a reporter oh, no. from the Cincinnati. No, Bee. I wouldn't have. <laughs> I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have wanted to to do something with the journalist because what a journal, what an actual journalist would do. Okay, the last time I had an interview with the New York Times, this was a few years ago. They would take. I would write them a paragraph or two about my career, mm-hmm. and they would forget they read it, and they would like insult me. Just this one like line just they would drop a line i don't even want to repeat it but they would just (laughs) drop a line on me and it'd be like boom like don't let your fucking mom read this your mom will think you're an idiot right of course like mom i'm in the new york times but i'm not going to show you because the journalist who wrote it like insulted me really badly so so i wouldn't have done it if you're a journalist (laughs) i I appreciate that you can share this with your mom and, and maybe she'll get a kick out of it so all right last thing to say uh, a walk-off song. So we're saying goodbye. I'm playing in some hot tunes. You make music of your own. I mean, Christ, that's something else we could have talked about. But what? Uh, I, and I did want to ask you about that, about your rapping, and for another show, I'll, we'll have you come on again. But w- what should I be playing right now while we're we're saying goodbye? Oh, 
gosh, I don't know. <laughs> what do you have? Tough... What do you have the rights to? Because you, I, I don't you care. Got to license it. I, I, it doesn't matter. My show is listened only by a few hundred folks right now. So it, to me, I always joke: if I get in trouble for licensing something, then fuck it, I've I've done something right. So don't worry about licensing, and it's only going to be about ten seconds anyhow. So, what are you what What are you digging you, right now? You know the uh, an album I really love is Interplay. Interplay. Yeah. By Marion McPartland. She recently passed away. She was like ninety five. This album came out, and I don't know if you can find it. The album came out in nineteen sixty nine or something. Okay. And it's just this woman playing piano and a dude on bass. Uh, it's it's really amazing and it's really chill. I actually have and the rights you... to it, so we're good. I have it right here. Do you really? No, but I'll, but I'll find it and I'll play it. And if she's and if she's dead, then I think we're probably even better. Unless her family comes after me for playing her song. No, she was the host. Uh, she was the host of Radio Jazz, I think was it was called on NPR or some uh, some NPR type syndicated station for uh, for many years. But I I happened upon the record. I I don't know if it's still in print or not. Nice. But, uh, well, I'm playing. I, it. I listen to it a lot when I work, so it's just real chilled out. So uh. that's awesome. Well, I'll be playing it. And Drew, thank you so much to to, to hear kind of how you came about. To get to know you a little bit better, I appreciate you spending the time with us, and it's been fun. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for having me on, Dave. Yeah, anytime, and I mean it. We'll have to have you back on in a few months, and we can chew the fat about your rap career. Uh, we did get a bunch of questions that we didn't get to, but uh, you'll have to come on again. And, and if I'm ever in Columbus, we'll, we'll have a beer, and we can talk about kids or some non-internet stuff. Yeah, definitely. No, I'll Let tell, me know. I'll tell you what. I'll bring my deck, my Magic the Gathering deck, and you and I can can play around. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> it's been a long time. Oh, it's been a long yeah, time. Me too. But hey, listen, thanks a lot, and uh, I will check it when it goes online. All right. Thanks a lot, Drew. Take care, man. All right. All right. Bye-bye. See you later. Right on. Okay, cool. Well, big props to Drew. Thanks a lot for coming on. Yeah, if you don't follow him on Twitter or Twitter, don't read his work. You've seen his stuff, I'm sure. His his comics are drawn. We, man, we didn't even get into any of this. His style is like a like a child drew it. Like a, let's it couldn't be more simple. And I think people steal them and write them off as their own because they are so simple and like one word, two word little jokes. So you've you've probably seen them on Facebook or somewhere. That someone's passed it off on as their own. But check his stuff out. Toothpaste for dinner and definitely worstthingsforsale.com, which are all super great stuff. And that's it. So episode 83 of Save It For The Show. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.